Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Thrive with Asbury Seminary podcast. I'm your host, Heidi E. Wilcox, bringing you conversations with authors, thought leaders, and people just like you who are looking to connect where your passion meets the world's deep needs. Today on the podcast, I got to talk to Dr. Alan Meenan, founder and president of The Word Is Out. He is the author of numerous articles, books, and study guides, and he teaches extensively throughout Asia, Africa, and America. Besides being born in Belfast, Northern Ireland, he has lived in Scotland and East Africa and the U.S. He has served the church in the U.S. for more than 40 years in the states of Virginia, Texas, and California, most notably as senior pastor of the famed Hollywood Presbyterian Church in L.A. Dr. Meenan holds five academic degrees from Queen's University of Belfast, Asbury Seminary, and a PhD from Edinburgh University. In today's conversation, we of course talk about how he came to know Jesus, his call to ministry, how he came to Asbury, his work as a pastor, and how the word is out came to be. Let's listen. Dr. Meenan, thank you so much for joining me today. I've really been looking forward to this conversation, and it's not very often that I get to chat with somebody from Ireland. Thank you. Thank you, Heidi. Um, it's lovely being here, and I'm not sure that uh, that my accent is, is may, may disappoint you a little bit, um, <laughs> because it's a combination of American accent and an Irish accent, I think. Uh, interestingly, when I was coming here, went to the train station, and uh, the train master giving me the ticket said, oh, you're going on holiday. And I said, I am. And he said, and where are you going? And I said, I'm going to the United States. He says, oh, you're going home. So he can really hear the American He heard accent. the American accent. Because, See, I don't hear that. I hear the yeah, Irish accent. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, some people hear the Irish accent. Some people hear the American accent. And, you know, the, the, the truth is that I don't have an accent. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah. In quotes, don't have an accent. You must have spent quite some time in the States. How did you get from Ireland yeah. to the U.S.? Yeah. Well, first of all, I mean, I, I've I've lived most of my life in, in America. Really? Um, if yeah. I was from Ireland, I don't think I would have done that. Just, oh, really? It's so beautiful over there. Well, it is. At least is. in pictures. I've never it, met it. It, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. Um, but, but, you know, America's beautiful, too. It is. I mean, uh, this. I love this country. And... Um, I've spent most of my life here. This is my adopted homeland. It's not the land of my birth, but it's the land of my. It's my adopted homeland, and I'm proud of it. And I'm proud to be an American. Yeah. Um, so you know that's kind of. Uh, I'm also. I, I'm one of those rare breeds. I've, I've actually. I've got three passports. Really? Yeah. yeah. I've got a British passport and an Irish passport and an American passport. <laughs> so it depends where I'm going or who I've murdered or whatever the case might be. <laughs> I could get away with almost anything, I think. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, so how did you, how, why did you, how did you experience your call to ministry? Because I'm guessing that might have been part of what led you to come to the States. It did. Um, my call to ministry was was not a call to parish work as such, okay. to be a pastor, mm -hmm. uh, which is where I ended up uh, for the most part. Um, but it was a call. To, uh, you know, I felt when I was a kid, the reason why I never wanted to become a Christian was because I saw God as the divine sport in the sky who would send me off to somewhere I didn't want to go. And in particular, <laughs> it was Africa. Africa was the you know, the dark continent. And I thought, no, I don't want to go there. And so I 
Didn't never want to become a Christian. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Really? Um, you know, I mean, my parents, my family were—they're wonderful, wonderful people, uh-huh. but they—they they were not believers. Uh-huh. Um, so before we get to your call story, let's yeah. back up for just a minute. Okay. Not raised in a Christian home. How did you come to the faith? Um. Boy, that's that's a good question. Uh, I think you know the, the simple answer is when when I was uh, 15, I joined a, a youth organization in a, in a local Methodist church in Belfast mm-hmm. uh, called Boys Brigade. Um, it was kind of like Boy Scouts. It was the precursor of Boy Scout of Scouting, and um, we were basically subjected to uh, Bible classes and all that kind of stuff and. And there was one officer in particular who was uh, a Pied Piper, and uh, he was just amazing. His name was Robert Roberts. And um, one one cold January night after our parade was over, um, he uh, he told he, he there was a group of us standing outside the church gate, and he talked about the return of Christ. He frightened me to death. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, I don't recommend this as a as a as a good tool for evangelism to frighten people into the kingdom, but I've got to I've got to admit I was frightened into the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. and um, and he was my spiritual father, and so yeah, so and yeah, then I became a Christian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, no, there were precursors, but that was the actual right. Yeah, right. So then how did you move? You said you didn't want to become a Christian because you were afraid of what you might have to do. Right. If you had told me about, you know, that God loved me, I could I could care less. Mm-hmm. And so that was why I was frightened into the kingdom. I think you I know? was frightened into the kingdom too. Were you? <laughs> I think the sermon, I hated when they preached on, you know, hellfire and everything because I was yeah. just sure that I was going there. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was at the altar multiple times in yeah. my childhood just to make sure Oh my. I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. for me, it wasn't so much, you know, avoiding hell. It was avoiding Africa. <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to go to, I didn't want to, go to Africa. And, and, you know, and then all of a sudden, after I made the decision, I thought to myself, oh, God, help me. I'm, <laughs> I may finish up in Africa now that I'm a Christian. Right. You know? So how did you then? Because you didn't know where you, you were afraid of where you might be called. I think a lot of people are afraid of what God might ask them to do yes, yes. when they accept him. I mean, yes. I was a little bit about, like, mm. what's this going to mean? Yeah, yeah. How did you then know you were called to missionary work or to be, you wound up being a pastor? How did you experience your call? Uh, Gladys Aylward, um was a, a little missionary to China. Uh, they made a movie about her, The End of the Sixth Happiness. Um, she's an amazing little English woman who uh, who worked in an orphanage in in China. She came. She visited uh, Belfast, and after the service was over, it was it was a youth rally. And she had challenged us so much. This was an amazing woman of faith. Uh, it's amazing the women who've who've affected, who've been playing influence in my life, but she certainly was one. And but fifty of us met afterwards, and she sat us all down. And she said, "Okay." Uh, you need to discover if God's going to call, if God is calling you, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you don't need to determine where at this point. She, she used to say, you know, if, if God's calling you somewhere and you, you don't know where, get on a, a ship, <laughs> any ship going anywhere. <laughs> she was an amazing lady. And, and she said, you know, and, and if that ship is heading for India and God's calling you to Africa, that ship's going to break down in the middle of the Indian Ocean. <laughs> it's going to dock in Mombasa, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, she was totally amazing. She would get in a line because she felt called of God to go to a certain place. She would get into a line for a ticket to get, you know, a railway ticket or whatever. And, um, and she didn't have the money to pay for the ticket when she got in the line. But wow. by the time she got to the booth, someone somehow paid for her ticket. I mean, she was an amazing lady, this little lady. Wow. So, so, so when she said, ask God to give you a verse, because the devil will tell you you're not called and you need to have a verse. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought, okay. Uh, and then she said, um, ask, ask for it within a week. Now then, my ears, you know, the, 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 the antennae went up and I thought, in one week's time, I will be free forever from the call of Africa. And that excited me. <laughs> and I thought, because what are the chances, you know, in, in one week that God's going to give you a verse? Uh -huh. I mean, I thought, I'm, I'm going to be free uh -huh. forever. So I got on my knees on a Friday night and I said, God, you've got a week. <laughs> and if you don't give me a verse within a week, I want you to know I'm off the hook. You can't come back later and call me later. Mm -hmm. This is it, Lord. Mm -hmm. See? Well, that was a Friday night. And on Saturday, my daily devotions took me to Psalm 96, verse 3. Mm -hmm. Declare his glory among the nations. Say among all the peoples that the Lord is king. And I, I read it, and I read it, and I read it again, and I, I, the tears were rolling down my cheeks, and, and I got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, I'll go. Mm -hmm. But if you want to change your mind, it's okay with me. Mm -hmm. Well, he never changed his mind. Mm -hmm. And it was confirmed in many, many ways since then. When I was 19, I, uh, I was influenced by a teacher in my high school, uh, to apply for to an organization called Voluntary Service Overseas. It's the mm -hmm. British equivalent of Peace Corps. Okay. And I was in high school and uh, I applied to them for, uh, you know, for the possibility of service overseas. After the interview was over, they said, now, if we were to send you overseas, where would you like to go? Uh -huh. So I said, um, one of those Pacific islands would be really <laughs> nice. You know, Tahiti in particular. I mean, you know, yes. I've, I've always wanted to go to Tahiti. Yes, because uh, suffer yeah. for Jesus. Oh, yes, yeah. indeed. That would be very nice. Um, and, uh, and I got a letter a week later saying, oh, we've chosen you and you're going to Africa. Really? Big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so I went when I was 19. Mm -hmm. I went to be a high school teacher. I had been a high school student one day and the next day I was a high school teacher. And uh, I taught math and geography and religious knowledge and physical education. Wow, that's a lot your first year. It was. Teaching. It was. It was yeah. great fun. Oh, yeah, I bet. Yeah. It was life-changing. Yeah, how so? Well, I mean, just uh, being in, a, in, having, you know, lived in, in just a city in Ireland and all of a sudden the world opens up. Yeah. And a whole different culture and different people. And mm -hmm. I fell in love with Africa. Really? And it's people. And I, I just, yeah. Um, I mean, my African friends, uh, you know, tell me that um, if, if uh, anyone pierces my skin, I'll bleed black. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. obviously, as you said, like your heart changed toward Africa. And so instead it of did. becoming a place that you didn't want to go, it becomes a place that you love. I longed to go. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. How did you then get from there 
Because eventually you came to Asbury Seminary. I did. Yeah, I how did. did. You went to university. How did you get from? Yeah, when all I when I came when I came back from from Africa, um, I went to university in Belfast and uh, uh, finished my degree um, and felt uh, I did a degree in psychology and and I thought maybe I should be a psychologist and um, was basically uh, running that possibility dying. Um, but I felt this niggling feeling that, you know, this this call, uh, because I thought, what good would a psychologist be in Africa back in the, you know, that was 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I met a friend, Billy Abraham, um, who was also a student at the university. We became fast buddies and, and he'd been influenced by a, a pastor in Ireland who had been to Asbury. And so he had set his sights on coming to Asbury. And when he learned that I was considering ministry, he encouraged me to come with him. So the two of us flew together mm-hmm. to Boston and then down to Kentucky, and um, here we were. Wow. What made you decide to stay in the States then? Oh, um, you know, at first I was terribly homesick. I, I was imagine. so homesick that I did my, I did my MDiv in two years. That's amazing. I took overloads. I went to summer school. I, I just I wanted to go back. I wanted to go home, you know. Um, and uh, and then the little church in the little Presbyterian church in here in Wilmore mm-hmm. asked me if I would preach. Um, they they were, they'd called a pastor and um, they wanted someone to fill in. And they asked, "Is there is there any Presbyterians in, in at Asbury Seminary?" Now I came to Asbury as a Methodist. I left as a Presbyterian. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it is funny. Yeah, yeah. And I was asked to speak at senior week uh-huh. <laughs> on graduation, and I told I told everybody that, you know, I, I would. It convinced me that I need to be a Presbyterian <laughs> instead of a Methodist. But uh, and everyone laughed. All the professors uh-huh. laughed. Uh, President Stanger was not amused. <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like you've been quite the card. Throughout your entire life, I guess, I guess. Um, but the, the Presbyterian Church here asked if there was a Presbyterian, a Presbyterian student, and everybody said, "Oh yes, there's an Irishman here. <laughs> you know, you could, you can him." And uh, so I preached there occasionally, and then their pastor, the person they were calling to be pastor, couldn't come, mm-hmm. and so they asked me if I'd be the pastor. Wow! So I became the pastor of the Wilmore Presbyterian Church, which was so much fun. It was so much fun because all the students started coming to the Presbyterian Church. <laughs> and David Siemens, who was the, who was the, I had joined, I had joined the United Methodist Church in Wilmore. And, um, but I'd forgotten that I'd joined it. <laughs> Cause, cause, and David, David Siemens dropped to my door one day and he said, with his, mem- with my membership certificate, and he said, I was the pastor of the Presbyterian Church. And he said, do you still want this? <laughs> So funny, but anyway, yeah, we became wow. good friends. But um, wow, yeah. that's amazing. So you pastored fun. for not here, of course, but throughout your your life and your ministry for more than forty years. Yes, uh, but for, you couldn't have known that. No, you know? I had no idea. And that was a little bit of a change in trajectory yeah. from. Yeah. I mean, it's still mission work, but it's a different yeah. type of work. Yeah, well, what happened actually was. Uh, from from here, from I, I did my MDiv and then my THM here, 
And then uh, I went to the University of Edinburgh in Scotland mm -hmm. to do my PhD mm -hmm. in Old Testament. And uh, then further studied at Yale Divinity School mm -hmm. and as a research fellow. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, it all kind of, it all kind of happened. And, and uh, while I was, when I was about to graduate uh, with my PhD, uh, I applied to about 20 missionary societies to go to Africa. Wow. And I couldn't get a job, wow. which, you know, uh, I've since talked to presidents of missionary societies who have told me that's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, for one reason or another, um, you know, it was just God closing the door. Mm -hmm. And so after I finished Scotland, um, I, I had married an, Amer an American girl who had mm -hmm. attended uh, Asbury uh, College. Um, we came back to America, and um, I ministered initially in Richmond, Virginia. Mm -hmm. uh, loved, uh, loved uh, doing that. And God just poured out His blessing upon that church, and it. it uh, we experienced phenomenal growth. Um, we, we were the fastest growing church in three states at one point. Wow! And um, and then I went to Los Angeles for a time, mm -hmm. and then to Texas, Amarillo. Uh, uh, thoroughly enjoying parish ministry, but asking all the time, God, why am I not in Africa? Um, and, That's remarkable. Since uh, you didn't want to go there. Yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. And what did he say? I think he was saying to me, you're not ready. You're not ready. Mm. And then I was called to uh, one of the biggest uh, Presbyterian churches in the nation. Yes. At Hollywood Presbyterian Church in yes. California. Um, which, which the irony, of course, is that, you know, that you, you need to remember I'm just a kid from the streets of Belfast, you know, just, mm -hmm. a, just a little kind of street urchin. And, and here I am, you know, in one of the most prestigious pulpits in America with hobnobbing with all these mm -hmm. celebrities and what have you. I mean, I was completely, it was just, you know, I, I never dreamed that the adventure with Christ would be mm -hmm. this amazing. Mm -hmm. It's just, I love him so much. Um, but the adventure with him has been just mind-blowing. Yeah. One of the things that I'm learning that I think relates to your story is my worth in Christ. You mm. know, because when you said I'm, I was just kind of a street kid from yeah. Belfast, and here I am at one of the most prestigious churches in the country. I haven't been there, but... I'm from Eastern Kentucky, and sometimes the things that I get to do or whatever, yeah. I feel intimidated by because I'm like, oh, I'm mm. just a girl from Eastern Kentucky, and, yeah. you know. So what did you? But have you're a child of the King, aren't you? Right. That's what I'm learning. Yeah. And and that's what matters, yeah. you know, yeah. not not what I do or like the the te the accol or whatever, whatever. Yes. So what did you have to learn about your own worth to kind of be comfortable where God? was called, you know, to be able to serve to your best and, like, be comfortable well, in those I, environments. You know, I, I hate to confess this publicly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't. But, you know, there was a time, because the churches, you know, it seemed that everything I was touching kept turning to gold, and mm -hmm. I, I, got, I got waylaid spiritually in thinking that this was me. Oh, see, I was wondering... I was yeah. going to ask you about that because yeah. that doesn't seem you now, and I was curious if that. Yeah, had no, always... I, I, I thought, I thought I must be great, you know, mm -hmm. and 
and it it um it was not good and it god just over a period of time um and it's too long a story to get into but over a period of time you know he just uh he let me know that this wasn't about me this was all about him you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and i think once i came to that f- full realization um i was in a place of of genuine um humility and mm-hmm. and uh dependence mm-hmm. on him mm-hmm. um and and could enjoy my life in a totally different way yeah you know that it it didn't depend on me it it it, it was all, it was completely his you know mm-hmm. and i kept telling him you know that if ever he wanted to you know sideline me or anything cuz you know one of john wesley's great prayers was you know that that you know if if god wanted to sideline him by all means do it you know mm-hmm. but um then that was okay because i would just go and buy a hammock and string it up between two palm trees in and and preferably in Tahiti, yeah yeah and just have a you know just listen listen to uh, to my Beethoven records and all the rest of it, you know, just mm-hmm. and just relax and enjoy life. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's just it's such a great pleasure serving him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's a great, great boss. <laughs> yes, mm. yes. So, in addition to pastoring for forty years, yeah. you're also the founder and director of the Word Is Out. Yeah. So, how did that? get started it actually I mean the precursors were in in Virginia uh, so while you were pastoring then yeah okay. yeah yeah um I, I got up one Sunday and I told the congregation uh, uh please turn to the book of, of uh, Zephaniah and they looked at me like I had five hands you know and I said my goodness they don't even know there's a book in the Bible called Zephaniah hey eh? mm-hmm. and I went home and I thought about that and I thought, you know, Presbyterians were supposed to be a people of the book. Mm-hmm. They used to be known as a people mm-hmm. of the book. Well, they weren't a people of the book anymore if they didn't even know Zephaniah was a book <laughs> in the Bible. So, so I just, uh, uh, I, I, I decided I needed to teach them. Yes. Um, and we started a Bible study. Now, the interesting thing was, uh, that Bible study, by the way, uh, translated from Richmond, Virginia... Uh, to uh, Los Angeles, and then to Amarillo, and then to Hollywood. And um, we started in Virginia with about 12 people coming on a Wednesday mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Within, by the time we got to Hollywood, uh, on a Wednesday night, we had more than 700 people coming to yeah, a Bible how study. Did you that? That's another story okay. in and of itself. <laughs> um, but you know the the thing the thing that I want to say is that um, the transformation of that happened to me here at Asbury. Really, um, I was uh, you know when I came to Asbury, you know I I thought I, I thought, you know I thought you know I have pretty working knowledge of the Bible and you know all the rest of it and but when I sat in some of the classes, in particular the class of Doctor uh, Robert Trana. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized I knew nothing. Mm. And every class was a spiritual high. Mm-hmm. It was a spiritual adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, at the end of the class, I would just, I would sit mm-hmm. and just, you know, bathe in what he had said. Mm-hmm. 
So his technique of uh, biblical study was induct in, in, mm -hmm. induct the inductive method. Mm -hmm. And so basically I took that, uh, that methodology that he taught us And um, he, he walked us through the Pentateuch, he walked us through, through the Gospels, he walked us uh, through the Book of Romans. Um, and, and I basically carried that technique uh, throughout my entire ministry in studying books. Mm -hmm. And then I began to share that with the congregations. And, uh, and we did these Bible studies. I mean, the, the interesting thing is we broke all the rules. Um, These Bible studies we announced are going to last 10 weeks, mm -hmm. and uh, we're going to cover this amount of material. We're mm -hmm. going to cover the entire Pentateuch, or we're going to cover, uh, you know, whatever, uh, the, the wisdom books, or whatever the case might be, um, or the synoptic gospels. 10 weeks, and you're going to have homework every night of the 10 weeks. And we're going to give you an exam at the end of the 10 weeks. Now, do you think anybody in their right minds would want to attend that? That's intense. Lay people. And yet, yet they came out in their hundreds. Yeah, because they wanted to know. They wanted to know. And people who would come to me and say, you know, we don't go to church, but we want to hear what the Bible means and has to say. So um, it, was, uh, but it was the technique that I learned here in Asbury that informed the way I approached that. So it was not so much the instructor or the teacher, in, my, in this case me, mm -hmm. as it was the technique mm -hmm. that people responded to. Right. And they responded to in their hundreds. Right. So people at the seminary, I think a lot of people are familiar with the term inductive Bible study. Yes. But for those aren't familiar, who aren't familiar with it, could you walk us through what that method is? <sighs> in the time allotment that we have to... <laughs> no, but what I would say is this... Um, Essentially, you know, most people, most people going to the Bible will will, will go with the idea. Will will go with baggage. Mm -hmm. Basically, they will be telling the Bible what it says. Mm -hmm. The inductive methodology allows you to hear what the Bible has to say, rather than telling it what it says. Oh, so it's and also it's kind of contextual. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, the the uh, contextual in this sense. You know, when a person sits down to read a novel, they start at chapter one and they read through to the end. Mm -hmm. When we go to the Bible, we reverse a passage here and a passage somewhere else and a passage. You don't read a novel like that. No. You don't read page three and then you turn to page 47 and then to page 131 and then back to page 59. Uh -huh. You know, you, you, it's the same kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's seeing a particular passage within its context and asking of the passage What is the what is the the the, the writer? Um, we call him uh, the implied writer. Mm -hmm. What the implied writer is attempting to communicate, mm -hmm. and and what tools is he using to to communicate? Mm -hmm. And why is he selecting these particular stories? Because as John says, you know, there are many other stories, that, things that Jesus did, that are not included in this book. I've selected these for this purpose. So there's a sense in which we want to know why certain events were selected, what space was given to them, why they're juxtaposed, what is the relationship between them, what is, what is the writer trying to do? And if we can get to the mind of the writer as best we can, then we get to a place of understanding. Yeah. And that was appealing to people out there in the PA. Yes, for sure. Definitely. Yeah. So then... 
the word is out, even if it wasn't called the word is out in Virginia, California, and Texas, it was obviously getting started and growing. Yes. How did it, I think it launched officially in 2005? It did. That was, that's correct. Yeah. So yeah. how did it get to that point and then to where we are today? Well, it's kind of like a, a moving train, you know, that was that was that was going out of the station, and I'm kind of running to try to catch up with it. I mean, that's kind of how it happened. Um, we started, you know, for, it, there was never any any grandiose idea of of doing it. It was right. just it was a little congregation in Richmond. Wasn't a little congregation, but it was a congregation in Richmond, Virginia, who didn't know the Bible, mm-hmm. and it was an attempt to help them understand. That's how it started. Mm-hmm. It was just a parochial idea. It was for that church, and then it began to grow and grow and grow. And then other people, because people started coming to it, and they st- people from other churches would come, mm-hmm. and, and we told them, we don't want you coming to this church. We want you staying with your church, but, but you're welcome to come for our Bible study. Um, because I had people of, of all religious persuasions coming. In fact, we, just, we had so many Episcopalians in, in Amarillo, Texas, that I used to tease, tease them during, during the lessons. You know, if I made fun of anybody, it was always the Episcopalians. And, and they loved it. You know, they, they, loved, they loved the notoriety of it. And it was all done in good fun, oh, yes, you for know. Sure. And, and everybody laughed, and we all had, we all had fun with the, with the whole thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the idea of, of what we were doing was, uh, was so appealing that um, uh, people got engaged in—because in, in, that's what we're really about, is the engagement with mm-hmm. the text, not just mm-hmm. the reading of the Bible, but the engagement with it. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I think that's—at least I know from my own life, that is what is often missing, you know, to yeah. understand— yeah. Yeah. Not the hidden meaning, but to understand what the text is really trying. Yeah, what the old rabbis used to call the peshat of the text, which means the plain, unadulterated meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what happened was, as this kind of thing grew and people got interested from other, we started getting letters from missionaries saying, mm-hmm. you know, uh, can we have the material? And um, so we start sending material. We start producing material, and all of a sudden, it it began taking a life to itself. And then because, you know, in Hollywood with so many professionals, um, you know, we were able to, uh, uh, to do a lot more and we had beautiful study guides produced and, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually we bought tables so that everybody could sit at a table and then eventually we couldn't get all the tables into the, mm-hmm. into the, into the worship centre. So we had to move back into the sanctuary. because We just couldn't accommodate the, the number of people coming. It was... And they were excited about the word. They weren't excited about the church per se. Uh-huh. They weren't excited about the preacher per se. Uh-huh. They were excited about the word itself. Amazing. It was amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. And even to this day, it's hard to fathom. Right. Because now I forget, it's eight or nine continents that you guys yes. are established on. Yes. Yes. We've been doing conferences and attempt to, attempting. What our desire is to send a send, uh, set up. Centers for Biblical Understanding. Oh, right. And, and I want to yeah. make a correction. I said continents. I meant countries. Not, yes. I know how many continents there are. I, I think I said eight or nine. You did. There can't you possibly did. be that. That's right. Yes. I think there are five. Is it five continents? Or seven or something? I, we're, I don't we're know. We're struggling yeah, at geography. Yeah. But anyway, I meant yeah. countries. Yeah. That's yeah. what I meant. Okay. Okay. Good. Anyway, 
But yes, you, you were saying about the Centers for Biblical Understanding that you have set up. Yes. Which is training centers. Yeah, to, yes. Oh, what, yeah. What, we're, what we're trying to do is, you know, we go and we, do, we conduct conferences and so on, and, and we go and teach in institutions. And then we, do a, we go through a selection process and we take indigenous uh, students, pastors, uh, potentially pastors or students. We've brought them to the United States. Um, we have brought them to Asbury where they're indoctrinated in IBS methodology. Mm-hmm. And then they go back to their homeland and uh, they train pastors. Uh, the, the growth of the Christian church in Africa today is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, statisticians, uh, missiologists have told us that uh, something like 22,000 people join the church in Africa every single day. 22, 365 days a, w- a year. That's incredible. It is incredible. But we're losing 18,000 of them a day which is also wow. really, really bad. Now, the, the situation in Africa, though, is that by the turn of the, the 20th century, in 1900, there were 10 million Christians mm-hmm. in the whole continent, mm-hmm. 10 million. Mm-hmm. By the turn of the 21st century, just 20 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, there were 360 million Christians in Africa, the entire population of the United States Christian mm-hmm. in Africa. So the growth has been phenomenal and is phenomenal, but the pastors are not trained, are badly trained. I mean, there's, there, I need to say there are some really good schools there, oh, for and, sure. I, and I've taught at some of those mm-hmm. schools, but, um, but there aren't enough of them for, that, for the kind of growth mm-hmm. that is happening. And so pastors are getting up and they're not trained at all, or they're badly trained. And so we're thinking, you know, is there one thing that we can contribute to help the church in Africa grow? And the answer, it would be, um, if there's only one thing to do, let's, ha- let's help them interpret Scripture mm-hmm. better. Yeah. And that's what we do. Yeah. So how have you seen, as you've developed, I think the first Center for Biblical Understanding that you developed, or your, the word is out developed, was yes. in Africa. Yes. Zambia. Yes. Um, how have you seen this change individuals and then go on to change the community there? Um, that that center is run by by Zambian mm-hmm. um, Lyle Zulu. Yes, um, um, I'm gonna. I'll link to things that we talk about in the show notes for the podcast. But I got to chat with him. Oh, before. you did. We did a feature story on him. Okay, so, great, yeah, great, wonderful. And he came here. He was trained, and uh, he's gone back and has established a, a center and. Uh, uh, we conduct conferences there to to uh, raise awareness so that we get more students in the place. But um, and he's got he's got nice students who are working at uh, level uh, level four, an advanced level of IBS, mm-hmm. and that in turn these pastors and and he's probably the center probably now boasts of my guess would be about forty fifty mm-hmm. uh, people who mm-hmm. attend at at one level or the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're 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 almost all pastors, wow. or or bishops. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, an, an African bishop is a little different from our understanding in the West. But uh, and and th- those folk would represent thousands and thousands of parishioners. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's. I mean, what we have now are a group of uh, of trained men and women who are accurately dividing the Word of God. Right and. Rightly discipling people in their communities too. Yes, yes, yes. So that have you seen this kind of change 
lessen the number of people who are, I don't know how to say, un, not becoming, unbecoming Christians. You know, like there was 22,000, I think you said, per day. Yes. And then we're losing, losing 18,000. Yes. Yes. Have, have you seen that kind of help as people learned how to practice their faith and live it out? Um, we're seeing it more in terms of uh, the kind of ministry that, that is being produced from, from the pulpits. And, mm-hmm. and this is a long-term, uh, this is going to be a long-term vision. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think, yes, I mean, certainly people are responding uh, in Africa. And, and I'm also, you know, teaching in India and, yes. and various other places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is having an effect not only on the pastors themselves and the, the persons trained, but certainly on their congregations. But unfortunately, you know, I mean, <laughs> we're just, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And, and that's the thing that kind of, um, it's overwhelming. The task is overwhelming because, you know, we're, we've, we're training in Zambia maybe 40 pastors. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are millions of people in that country mm-hmm. and, and millions of Christians in that country. And the task of uh, of getting more pastors trained is um, is is an immense challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know we don't have the kind of resources and uh, available to us, both personnel well personnel wise, or or financially to do what needs to be done. But um, but God has been gracious thus far. If people want to partner with the word is out. Should they is the best way to get in touch with you guys through your website? I think it's the best okay. way. All right. Yeah. Well, www.thewordisout.com. Sure. All right. Yes. We'll link that in the Wonderful. show. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So we have one question that we ask everyone who comes on the show. Yes. But before we do, is there anything else you'd like to talk about that I didn't know to ask you? Oh, no, you've asked so much, you know. <laughs> I've, I've really enjoyed this time. I didn't think I was going to. But, oh, I'm so but, glad you're here. Yeah, yeah, this as is well. good. Yeah, <laughs> I've good. enjoyed your stories. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. So our one question that we ask yes. everyone, because the show is called the Thrive with Asbury Seminary Podcast, yes. what is one practice or habit that is helping you thrive in your life right now? Can I give you more than one or does it have to be just no, one? we're limited to just one. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Oh, dear. You know, I, I think there's there, there are a few things for me, um, both uh, down-to-earth um, and, and otherworldly, you know. Um, you know, the kind of things that, that uh, living in Ireland um, is has its bonuses. I mean, it is, as you said, it's a beautiful country. It is beautiful. And I, I, I've purchased a little apartment, uh, maybe not so little, but an apartment right on the water. And, oh. and so um, the joy of just sitting at the window and, and looking out at, at various, in various weather conditions uh, across the, the lock to the kills of Antrim, and I can even see Scotland on a good day. And, you know, it, it's just inspirational. It's just, it's, I've, I've often said, you know, people, people will come and they'll say, wow, um, you know, it, this is an amazing view. And I'll say, yeah, I, I actually bought the view. The, 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 the apartment came with it, <laughs> you know, um, because it, it, it's inspiring. It's just, it's, it's um, to just sit there and meditate and, uh, and soak it in. Uh, to um, to open my Bible and just you know in the quiet, the, the, it's just mm-hmm. there is something that um, 
is refreshing to the spirit. Yeah. And, and, you know, whether it's prayer, whether it's study or whether it's meditation or whether it's just gazing out at, at, mm -hmm. at that, you know, if I got tired of that view, I would be tired of life. <laughs> you know, it yeah. is just lovely. And, yeah. and I just, I, I wallow in it. It's, it's great. Um, the other thing is being in Ireland, everybody walks everywhere. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, you just, so I've never walked so, so much in all my <laughs> life, you know, because I'm used to be, being an American now, you know, uh -huh, uh -huh. to uh, drive everywhere. Yes, you know? we're very spoiled and unhealthy. Oh, it's lovely, though. It's, <laughs> it's lovely. I, I love driving in a car. But in Ireland, you know, there's just, I mean, the coffee bar is just a block away and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and the restaurants are just, you know, short distance and the marina is there. And they're In fact, there's a walk along the water's edge. You can walk for uh, 15 miles all the way to Belfast, just along the water's edge. Oh, um, and um, yeah, so, so walking has been mm -hmm. lovely, just, uh, you know, breathing and, um, and what have you. Mm -hmm. But uh, so, yeah, thriving. Thriving spiritually, thriving physically. And, you know, I'm an old man now, you know, at least my, the mirror tells me I'm an old man. But, you know, I don't think that I'm an old man. No. I feel, I feel, you know, just, and every time I look in the mirror, I think, you know, who, who is that person? I mean, it's just kind of, no. Yeah. So I said that I, this was the last question, but I also, you are part of a podcast, is that right? Yes, so that's another way to hook into the Word is Out. Uh, we do do our own po podcasts, but basically the podcasts uh, uh, are, uh, how would you say, kind of um, IBS approaches to various books of the Bible. So we're actually, it's actually uh, reflections on particular books of the Bible. And we've got several already done. Um, and uh, we're, we're building on, on them as we go along. Eventually, we want to do all 60, 66 books. Um, so, yeah, that, that would be another way of plugging into what we're doing, just, yeah. just to listen and, okay. um, yeah. Well, and, yeah. yeah that'll give, that'll give, that gives you an idea of exactly what IBS is about and, and how we analyze books and um, in a kind of, you know, relaxed uh, Situation. Yeah, you can drink coffee and listen. You can. When you're done listening to that, just like this, you can hop on over. Just, to the Word just like podcast. this. That's yeah. right. You can. You can. Yeah. So yeah. I want to ask you this too, because what you said about what you're doing that makes you thrive. Yes. And, um, I just am curious. In your years of ministry, what do you know about God now that you didn't know, maybe even five years ago, but certainly not even at the beginning. I think there is a, a greater confidence and, and sense of, of who he is and um, that he really is in control of everything. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, one, one would always affirm that even from the beginning. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, because I, I often, you know, I, I'll come across Christians who will talk about, you know, they will despair. And, and believe me, uh, the Irish church is, um, is struggling at the moment. And um, I'm trying to, you know, their heads are drooping. Uh, they're 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 discouraged in so many ways, and I'm I'm encouraging them that um, you know that lovely prayer of Jesus. You remember when he prays to the Father, um, Father, glorify your name. I love how God responded to him. 
when he said, I have glorified my name, but I'm going to do it again. And it's that again. Mm -hmm. I love that word again. I'm going to do it again. Mm -hmm. and, and so I'm telling the Irish church, you know, that, that God is going to do it again. And it's because he's on the throne and it doesn't depend upon their efforts. I mean, of course, they need to preach like everything depends on them, but pray like everything depends on God. Um, so there's a sense in which I, that, that particular, you know, it was because, you know, again, when I was a young minister, I mean, I, I thought it was my efforts that were, right. you know. So it, it is this kind of growing understanding that, uh, that we have a God who rules the universe and ultimately and finally he is in control. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter which party is in is in government. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't matter if Russia is is misbehaving. I mean, of course, these things matter, right, you know. Of course, yes. But but ultimately and finally, the older I get, the more I the more at peace I am, with a sense that here is a God who rules the world, and that we can be confident in that. And it doesn't matter, you know, really what is going on because we have someone who's really in charge. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's mind-blowing in it so is. many ways. How do yeah. you live like that? Because like you said, I'm in my 30s. So I say, you know, God is in control and, you know, yeah. and it's all, but it's yeah. more a here level. Yeah. What was that like for you to then start living like God is in well, control? Well, it's because you, because the older you get, the more, the more you experience it and the more you sense it to be the case. And the more, you know, you just one example, you just, your life begins, you see so much thing, things in your life that, you know, my mother, who was not a believer initially, by the way, if I, if I could just include a quick here. Oh, for sure. I mean, I've asked you, I've told you we're on the last question, so yeah. include well, all you well, want to My do. mother, she wasn't a believer. She's a lovely, she was a lovely, lovely lady. But she was out shopping one day in Belfast, and uh, she, met, she met an old friend. And the old friend said, oh, Mrs. Meenan, um, nice to see you. How are you doing? I haven't seen you in ages. You know, how's your family? And so my mother would say, well, you know, my daughter's doing this and so. And then she said, my son, he's a minister. And this lady said to her, Mrs. Meenan, I never knew you were religious. <laughs> and, and of course, she wasn't religious. Right. But that question from a stranger set her thinking. And she went home and she thought, if my son is a minister, I should at least be going to church. And so she started going to the local Methodist church and became a believer. Wow. You see? Mm -hmm. um, <sighs> there are just, she used to tell me as a child, no matter what happened, you know when a, ch a child will run to his mom and, you know, or, and, and, you know, say, you know, and my mother would just put her arms around me and she would always say, it's going to be all right. And as long as my mom said that, I believed it. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, my mother is long since gone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, support systems have gone. Friends have died. But there's someone who comes to me and puts his arms around me and tells me, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that, for me, would be the thing that I most sense now in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I, I believed it with my mind, 
But right. because of the experiences of life and, and seeing him at every turn and twist mm-hmm. and turn, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm totally confident, yeah. you know. Yeah. I heard the other day someone said that um, uh, his uncle was dying. And, um, and his uncle said to him as he died that uh, he was sure of two things. Mm-hmm. He was sure that there was life after death. And he was sure of the trustworthiness of Jesus. Now, normally we say, you know, there's only two things in life certain, death and taxes. <laughs> yes. No. Life after death and the trustworthiness of Jesus. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for our conversation. You're welcome. Today. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you. So. It's lovely meeting you too. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me for today's conversation with Dr. Alan Meenan. Isn't he just a delight, you guys? I can't tell you how much I enjoyed and learned from this conversation, and I hope you did as well. I just want to encourage you to check out the Word is Out website and their podcast, all of which we'll link to in the show notes, and just take a look at the inductive Bible study method and how learning to truly study the Word of God might actually change your life. As always, you can follow Asbury Seminary in all the places on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at, at Asbury Seminary. Until next time, I hope you'll go do something that helps you thrive. <laughs>